everyone stand for the reading of scripture? I'll be reading from Isaiah 43, 1 to 3. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. You can be seated. Good morning, my dear, dear friends. Let me begin by telling you how honored I am to be standing here today and how grateful I am for all of you here today, as well as all those who have gone home before us, who nurtured me along my way. I can think of, I can see in my mind's eye so many faces out there that are no longer with us. Too many to name, but they sure did guide me along my way. Before I go on, I want to introduce a bit of music. Now, I'll tell you ahead of time that my taste in music might not be the same as all of yours, but it's important to me. Music as worship has always been very important to me and very often speaks to me in strong ways. If you have never heard Whitney Phipps sing Amazing Grace or David Phelps sing No More Night, I highly recommend both. Not, not to mention Luciano Pavarotti singing Nissim Dorma. But <laughs> about five years ago, when I first began thinking about telling my story, I heard the song, The Overwhelming, Never-Ending, Reckless Love of God, and felt it truly had been written for me. Please listen. Ron, will you play that piece of music? It's a lyric video. You breathe your life in me 
scripture today I requested Isaiah 43 1-3 because it speaks to me it says do not fear for I have redeemed you I have called you by name you are mine I was born August 26 1946 to Bill and Helen McCormick Ruddy However, I was a child of God since before my earthly birth, and this I truly believe. 
I had a great family. My father was a carpenter by trade, having been taught by his father. My dad and his brother, my uncle Marshall, were partners in trade their entire lives. My mom was a typical stay-at-home mother who excelled at cooking and baking and making a very cozy home for us. I had two older sisters who combed my hair, tied my shoes, and taught me how to dance. I was everybody's baby. I was the youngest in the family. I was pretty pampered. Not much was required of me. There were lots of uncles, aunts, and cousins we were very involved with on both sides of our families. There were lots of dinners, picnics, and parties. There was a lot of baseball playing, roller skating, and fishing. Lots of jacks and rope jumping and bicycle riding. Our home was very welcoming and became somewhat of a hub for our extended family. People frequently just dropped in to visit, and my mother was always prepared and willing to entertain and feed them. It was like magic. My mother could make a meal out of nothing. Our dad was as steady as a rock, working all day at hard physical work and kept an immaculate yard in the summer months. It was kind of his thing. In the winter months, he kept busy with home repairs and had several hobbies. He spent his life working miracles with wood, making cabinets, furniture, and wood carvings. He won many prizes. He was my biggest fan when I showed an interest in crafts, sewing, and cooking. When my mother cooked supper, she always had to plan for extra because most days our dad and Uncle Marsh came home for lunch and she would heat up the leftovers. Our mother was famous for her pies and desserts and had something baked almost every day. We had good health and we had financial stability. Television wasn't that big yet, so we played cards and board games. I got my love of reading from my dad, and many nights we would sit together, each with our own book, to read before bed. Though we did not have church or any religion in our home, we had high moral standards that were pretty strictly enforced. As girls, we were taught honesty, integrity, and purity. My school years were pretty ordinary, and I had lots of neighborhood friends being raised in similar environments. My sisters were close in age to each other, but I was enough younger that they were always one school ahead of me. When I was in grade school, they were in junior high. When I was in junior high, they were in high school. When I was in high school, they were getting married and starting families. When I was in the second grade, the mother of a classmate invited the girls to her home one night a week for Bible study. I didn't know anything about the Bible but just wanted to be included. That was my introduction to Jesus. I remember to this day being overwhelmed with emotion and instinctively knew this was something I longed for. When I was 13, my best friend Mickey and I, and my life with her is another whole story, we went to the downtown movie theater to see King of Kings. I don't know if any of you ever saw that. That was in the 
50s. We both literally wept at the crucifixion of Jesus. I was simply enthralled with Mother Mary. It was when I was 17 that my sister Jennifer was born. Now remember, I was the baby, and 17 years later, here comes Jennifer. You see, she was, she was a particular blessing to our family and still is, still is. You see, she was, kept, she was what kept our parents together. As nice as the picture I painted for you is, there was frequent turmoil in our home. We had a wonderful, fully involved father who happily provided for us and a wonderful mom who was really fun and loving, but as husband and wife, they were sort of like oil and water. And their differences often became loud and violent. I spent a lot of time hiding in my bedroom, scared out of my wits. It shook our stability. And by the time I was grown, if, it, if Jennifer hadn't have come along, they would have split. It was during those times that I heard a voice in my heart that said, do not be afraid, everything will be all right, and I will protect you. I didn't know where the voice came from, but I hung on it like my life depended on it. Both of my sisters married nice Catholic boys who were raised in the church. They began to take me to church with them. As they approached marriage, they were baptized and confirmed into the Catholic Church. This began my faith in the Catholic Church. I took conversion classes with the priest and was baptized at 14. It was in the Catholic Youth Fellowship that I met my children's father. When we were in high school, we began to go steady. He always took his catechism classes and was an altar boy. We began to attend church together as teenagers with several other of our youth group friends. I learned early on that our home lives were very different. His parents were first-generation Americans, which was a new concept to me because as my family on both sides had been in America for many generations. We haven't traced them all as far back as we can yet. His family struggled financially, and they had somewhat distant relationships in their extended family. But they welcomed me in. Their connection to the church and its rituals and traditions and how they celebrated holidays was something new to me and very attractive to me. I should have seen red flags when we were around 17 years old when he told me he hated his parents and couldn't wait to be on his own, away from them. But I was in love and thought all that could be changed in time. We dated all through high school. I took vocational secretarial training and planned to work in the business world until we were married and started a family, and he agreed with that. He was planning to go into the military in the hopes of getting mechanical training there, 
We had consistently spoke of a life together and planned to get married after high school. We were married May 8, 1965, and immediately moved to Arizona, where he was stationed in the Air Force. During the interim, I continued to attend church, prayed my rosary, and be became a good Catholic girl. Imagine my surprise when we arrived in Arizona, and he casually told me we wouldn't be going to church anymore as he had promised himself when he was on his own, he was done with that stuff. When he got out of his mother's home, he would no, never go to church again. I didn't have, we didn't have a car, I didn't have a driver's license, didn't know the area or the people, where was I gonna to go to church? But we had our children baptized in the church, and that was the extent of it. Our daughter, Annette, was born February 11, 1966. Ed was born May 3, 1969, and Bill May 18, 1972. I knew from the beginning that he was not happy being married to me. He was distant, moody, away from home a lot, demanding and controlling, and never very patient with the children, not very loving or affectionate. I was taught that once you married, you worked it out, and you stayed married. I became like my mother and just hoped I could do something to make him happy. I cooked, I cleaned, I made the children behave, I sewed, I canned, I just did everything I could do. However, I never expected that he would just walk away and leave us on our own. At 28 years old, someone who had been kind of a pampered person found myself with a high school education, little job experience, no car, a house with a mortgage, and $13 in my possession. But I also had three of the sweetest, most beautiful, precious children God ever gave a mother. My fear over how I was going to provide for them was more than I could absorb. I had to get a job. And since my youngest was only two, affordable, reliable childcare was the biggest concern. I spent many tear-filled, tear-filled, sleepless nights. Yet again, the voice would come, don't worry, you can do this. I will help you, trust me. This was the first time the Catholic Church let me down. In order to apply for child support, I was forced to legally divorce him. Child support was ordered, but was never enforced. At that time and for many years after, we didn't even know where he was for it to be collected. In the hopes of getting some assistance, I went to the church. I was told none was available. I needed to apply for welfare. I had never even heard of welfare. No one I knew had ever been on welfare. I was also told that since I was divorced, I was no longer a member in good standing with the Catholic Church 
and could no longer receive communion or celebrate the church holidays. To say the least, I was devastated. This was not my fault. And the voice again told me, I will never turn you away. You are mine. I know those first years I just stumbled through. I did not want my children to suffer for this or know that I was suffering. I wanted to assure them that they were good, smart, beautiful, and could accomplish anything they wanted to. They didn't have to have the stigma of being raised without a father. I was also kind of tough on them because I couldn't do this on my own. I needed them to do chores around the house, sacrifice due to our financial situation, and be kind to each other and look out for each other. And then came Rudy. Most of you knew Rudy. I knew him since I was 17. And what some of you don't know is that Rudy was uncle to my children's father. He was my mother-in-law's youngest brother. In the Catholic Church, he was godfather to my son, Ed. When he became aware that Ed was being raised without his own father, he felt an obligation to try to help. Being left to raise his own son on his own, he felt sympathy to my situation. Once we became friends, we found we had a lot in common and came to love each other. Probably the most important thing we had in common was our love for God and a hunger to be in a relationship to him. We didn't marry until our children were almost grown. Our relationship had its own specific struggles, but never once did I ever doubt that Rudy loved me completely and wanted to be with me forever. I had no fear that he was ever going to leave. Once my youngest was in school full-time, I was able to work full-time. Most of those years, as they were going through school, I worked a full-time job and a part-time job to make ends meet. My children willingly took part-time jobs when they were old enough and were able to take some of the financial burden away from me. I was so proud of them for that. They didn't complain. They just pitched and helped. Rudy struggled with employment due to increasing health concerns. He had ulcers. He had a broken hip. He had a lot of problems. But he helped financially when he could. Rudy encouraged me all the way. He cultivated my self-esteem by telling me I was the most perfect woman ever born. I was the best cook, best housekeeper, best mother, and beautiful to boot. He couldn't understand what I saw in him. Really? <laughs> if I made canned beans and wieners, it was the best Rudy ever tasted. And he constantly reminded me to keep my faith in God, that I could never go wrong if I kept my faith in God. We tried a number of churches over the years, but didn't seem to feel a fit. So we just prayed together and read the Bible. Rudy was the reason we came to Midway. One of our favorite things to do was travel country roads. This often included a trip to Columbiana 
and supper at the Dutch house. We would pull into the Midway parking lot and sit on a picnic bench. Rudy would peek in the windows and say he wanted to come to church here. A phone call to Larry Rohrer brought us here one Sunday morning in 1995. Well, the rest is the story most of you already know. What you may not know is how grateful I am for the fellowship in this little building. You do such a good job at it. Never will I forget how you treated us when we first came. Vernon and Vera, dear Vernon and Vera, invited us that very first Sunday to their home for dinner. From then on, we were invited to dinner nearly every Sunday for about six months. You took two people who had been kicked down by life and renewed our faith in people. Midway is truly where that voice was leading us. My children are all grown now and have their own children and grandchildren. They have all done remarkably well because I realize under the circumstances they could have gone either way. They could have rebelled and had problems, but they didn't. They didn't. And they take very good care of their old mama. They are certainly my best friends. They treated Rudy with love and respect and have stood by my side dramatically since I no longer have him. As far as their faith in God, they are a mixed bag. My daughter has a strong faith in God. My middle son has been hurt by the church. My youngest son, well, he's just not sure there's really a God out there. But I know God loves them, and I just keep listening to that voice. I still consider myself the most blessed mother on earth. After Rudy died, I began to have strong flashbacks to that time in my life when my children's father disappeared from our life. I came to realize that the loss had been very similar to death, but I had never given the opportunity to grieve. And I think that affected my life. In truth, he might as well have died. It was sudden. There was no explanation and no goodbye. And it took me years to realize he was never coming back, not even for his own wonderful children. But when it happened, I was told, don't cry over him. You're lucky to be rid of him. He was no good. I don't know if it helped me through my grief over losing Rudy, but this time I didn't just lose someone I loved. I lost the one who loved me. In conclusion, I want to say that I don't tell you all this to have you feel sorry for me or pat me on the back for living through it. Yes, I had struggles, but I know each of you has struggled in your life too. This is a story of the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, who will chase you down, fight till you're found, leave the 99. You don't deserve it. You cannot earn it. Still, he gave his life for you. You just have to listen for his voice. Thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you.
Thank God. 